Let's, let's, uh, let's read it. I'll read and if you want to follow along, that'd be great. So Mark chapter 8, verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. We've seen a lot of that as we've gone along. Jesus has really been warning his disciples through all this section about the danger of having a hard heart. A heart that is rebellious against God or a heart that is religious but has no real love for God. That's the yeast of the Pharisees. And Jesus has been saying, watch out for having a hard heart. Verse 16, they discussed with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Bearing in mind, he's already fed 5,000 and 4,000 people. They really should have got the idea that bread is not an issue for Jesus. Okay, we can do without bread because we've got the bread maker. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven, this is like teaching children, isn't it? Do you remember how many? And and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he'd spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. We're going to pray. We're going to ask that God would help us. Uh, We're going to ask that God, by his spirit, would make this word live to us. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father, thank you for this wonderful book that we have open in front of us. Thank you for this account of the life of Jesus that Mark wrote down for us. And Father, we pray this afternoon that you'd give us insight. Help us to understand, we pray. Please would we hear the very voice of God speaking to us as we have your word open in front of us. Father, thank you that this is a living, active, powerful, sharp word. And we pray that we'd hear that word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Brilliant. One of the things um, that I love about Jesus, one of the things I think Jesus does amazingly, is ask questions. He's constantly asking people questions. And I don't know if you noticed, there were three big questions in what we just read. You probably spotted, they're not difficult to spot. There's one at the end of verse 21, did you see that? Jesus says to his disciples, do you still not understand? And it's kind of left hanging in the air. And it's as if Mark has sort of taken that question of Jesus and he sort of left it hanging as if he's saying in the gospel to the people reading it, to us, do you still not understand? 
I've shown you all this stuff about Jesus. I've shown you how he's healed the sick and raised the dead and fed the 5,000. I've shown you how he's opened the eyes of the blind and ears of the deaf. Do you still not understand? Don't you get it? That's the first question. The second question is in verse 23. Jesus says to the man who's blind, do you see anything? There's the second question. Do you see anything? And the third question, and you've probably guessed this, uh, is there in verse 29, where Jesus says to his disciples, what about you? Who do you say I am? Here are three questions. Do you still not understand? Do you see anything? Who do you say I am? And I want us to think about those questions, and I want to try and show you that actually it's the same question. Jesus is asking the same question in those three situations. Because I think one of the puzzles of the healing of the blind man is why does Jesus do it in two stages? Isn't that weird? Why did Jesus need a second go? You know, as, as I read it, did you hear it? The blind man comes, Jesus spits on his eyes, puts his hands on his eyes, and it doesn't seem to work. And Jesus has to do it again. <laughs> why? That doesn't happen anywhere else. And here's the, here's the point I want, I, I, we're going to see. The reason that that is important in the healing of the blind man is because of what comes after it. Do you see anything is coupled with who do you say I am? And hopefully that makes some sense as we go through. Um, so we're going to examine these two questions. We're going to start with this first one. Uh, we're going to examine those two second, the last two questions. Do you see anything and who do you say I am? We're going to start with that question, do you see anything? And sight, think about sight for a second, right? What you can see. It's quite a personal thing, isn't it? Well, very personal. I don't know what you can see. I can't see for you. It's something that you have to do for yourself. It's something that is it's quite a weird thing. I don't know what green looks like to you. It's not a, uh, sometimes I have these thoughts and my brain melts down and I think, oh, I don't know and I, can't, I don't know what's real anymore. But sight is something slightly weird. You know, we talk about it, don't we? I want to see it with my own eyes. That's a weird phrase because what other way, I mean, what other options are there? I'd like to see it with someone else's eye. It, no, seeing is with your eyes. It's a very personal thing. It's not something that anyone can do for you. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had the amazing privilege of going to Uganda. We were in Uganda for Christmas. And as part of our time in Uganda, we went on a safari, which was fantastic. It was, it, was a great, it was a great experience. One of the most interesting points in the safari was we were in this car with our, uh, our guide, who was called Adolf. <laughs> in fact, he was called Adolf Innocent. <laughs> Isn't that a great name? It must be like his parents called him Adolf and then went, oh, but let's make clear... But he's not Adolf guilty. <laughs> anyway, Adolf innocent. He was, he was tops. He was great. And uh, we were driving along and, you know, we saw some elephants. <laughs> Difficult to miss those. Anyway, suddenly he, he slammed the brakes on and stopped the car. And he was staring at this tree. And then he said, get out, get out. So we all got... I don't think it's supposed to do this in this far, but anyway, we did. We got out of this car and we were all staring at this tree and he was staring at it like this. And he said there's a leopard in that tree. I couldn't see anything. But he could. 
I've seen it with my eyes, he said. I've seen it with my eyes. And we were all standing there. I promise, right, we were stood there for an hour staring at this tree. And it was, it was gripping. I couldn't see anything. <laughs> and yet he told me it was there. And then there was this amazing moment. Where I was like, I can see it. And up until that point, I think I've been very sceptical that it was even there. It would have been weird, wouldn't it, if I'd said, oh, terrific, Adolf's seen a leopard in the tree. Great, let's go on. That's no good. I want to see it with my own eyes. I want to see. And all he could see was this tiny little patch of leopard skin hidden in the trees. Now that's... That's what makes this question of Jesus so beautiful. Do you see anything? Do you see it? Do you really see who Jesus is? Do you see? That you is going to be very important this afternoon. We're going to see it. We're going to come back to it later. It's like me staring at the leopard in the tree. Do you see anything? Jesus is interested in this blind man and what he sees. Can I tell you this, right? Being a Christian is not about blind faith. Being a Christian means to see Jesus. A a bit later on in the Bible, there's a man called Paul, and he writes this to a church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want you to see. I want you to see it. For yourself. Do you see anything? See, if you think that being a Christian is just about believing something because everyone else does, you've missed the point. And this is the question. I want it buzzing. Okay, I, I, I want this to be buzzing in our hearts this afternoon. Do you see anything? I'm not, it's not, do you like coming to church? It's not, do you enjoy the preaching? It's not, do you find the Bible fascinating? It's not, do you enjoy the food? It's not, do you try really hard to be good? It's not, are you a good person? It's not, do you have friends who follow Jesus? It's, do you see anything? That's what we're going to do. That's what we're talking about. And we're going to go through this first story to learn about what Jesus does with this blind man. And then we're going to see what he does with his disciples. And we're going to see he does the same thing. So let's go through um, the, the story from verse 22. They come, they come to Bethsaida. So they've been going backwards and forwards across the lake in a boat. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to trust him. Okay, what's the first answer to that question? Do you see anything? His first answer would be... I see nothing. Right? I see nothing. He's a blind man. There are no questions about it. He's pretty clear. I, I, I see nothing. Now, you've got to kind of try and think yourself into this situation. To be a blind man, particularly in that culture, would have been terrible. It would have been devastating. Probably he would have had to spend his time sitting on the street begging. There was no way he could work. There were no social services. There was no money. There was no social security. It was begging. And there's no hope. It was a life sentence. There's no way he's going to get better from being blind. He's blind. It was a pitiful 
position for him to be in. And so when his friends come and they try and take him to Jesus, he, he knows he needs it. He goes with them, even though it's pretty humiliating to be dragged along by your friends to Jesus. He kind of knows he needs it. He knows that how blind he is. And he would have been foolish, wouldn't he, to say to his friends, no, 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 leave me alone, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm okay, I'm happy. No, he's blind. His first answer, I see nothing. I don't see anything. But look what happens next. Jesus, look at verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He doesn't just stand there and wave his hand and go, oh yeah, fine, be healed. He takes this bloke by the hand. He says, come with me. And he leads him out of the village. He's not, gonna make, he's not out to use this bloke to make some point in his public spectacle. He cares about this man. And he takes his hand and he leads him out of the village. He wants to be alone with this man. He wants to be with this man. He wants to engage with this man. This man, Jesus takes the initiative. Do you notice this man doesn't do anything in this story? Doesn't say anything? Well, apart from later on, he, at this point he doesn't say anything. He doesn't ask Jesus anything. Jesus does everything. He reaches out his hand and takes hold of him. And then he does something weird, doesn't he? He spits in the man's face. <laughs> I mean, in, my guess is that in most cultures, that is a pretty offensive thing to do. And yet Jesus spits. It's actually something he's done before. He did it with the deaf man. And I have to confess, I'm not entirely sure why. Other than the fact it seems to be the way that Jesus practically is demonstrating that he's the one who has the power to heal this man. And Jesus touches the man's eyes. And it's so wonderful. You can picture, probably the disciples are standing there watching, and it's like, Jesus is going to make this man see. And imagine the man opening his eyes and looking around. Jesus says, do you see anything? What's his answer now? Before it was, I see nothing. Now his answer is different. Now his answer is, I see something. I see something. Now, of course, as people who've got sight, we, we read what he says and, you know, I see people, they look like trees walking around. And we see that's pretty negative. We're like, hmm, that's a bit disappointing. I see trees, people, trees walking around. But for this man, he's going from seeing nothing to seeing something. That is a wonder. For the first time, light has broken into his life. For the first time, he can see something. Can we sense that that's a, that's a wonderful miracle? He can see something. And men and, let's face it, men and trees have got some similarities. You know, they're both kind of vertical. <laughs> that's kind of it. But he can see. But obviously, living your life, confusing a tree and a man is going to, pose problems. That's not ideal. And so it's not complete. It's slightly unsatisfactory. It's going to be tough to live not being able to tell the difference between a tree and a man. And so Jesus isn't finished with this man. Can you see the next stage? So Jesus touches the man again and look at verse 25. Okay, feel. Three 
Mark says it three ways so that you really understand what Jesus has done. Okay? Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. No mistake in it. His eyes were opened, he saw everything clearly, and his sight was restored. Do you see see how massive that is? So he's gone from I see nothing to I see something to I see everything. He sees everything. It's crystal clear to him. Far vision, near vision, everything. He can see it all. I mean, that's quite an exciting story. I mean, it's not exciting for you because it's not your eyes, but it would have been for him. What a mind-blowing moment for him to see everything clearly. Right, that's the movement of the story. I hope you've got it, okay? I see nothing, I see something, I see everything. That is the story of the blind man. Right, let's look on um, to the next chunk then and see how that works out. Because if that was all we were going to look at this afternoon, that would be cool. And this idea of the eyes being opened was one of the marks of God's kingdom coming and the Messiah coming. And it was kind of one of the great marks of God's kingdom breaking into the world. But there's more here. Because we've got to work out, why does he do it in two stages? Why perform it in that way? And we're going to see now the disciples. So let's pick up from verse 27, okay? In verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. I want you to understand this afternoon that the natural state of the human heart is to see nothing. To see nothing of who Jesus is and the glory of who Jesus is. And it's like these, you know, when Jesus says, who do people say I am? They're groping around in the dark. Oh, perhaps he's Elijah. Perhaps he's one of the prophets. Perhaps he's John the Baptist. They're like blind men. They can't, the the world cannot see who Jesus is. And we know that's true because in the bit I read just before he heals a blind man, he says to his disciples, that's you. You've got eyes, but you fail to see. Don't you understand? They see nothing. That is the natural state of our hearts. When it comes to Jesus, we see nothing. Now, the advantage of the blind man in the story is that he knows that he's blind. He knows he sees nothing. The danger that we slip into is that we think we can see. We think we can understand this world. We think we can work it out. We think we've got sight. But Jesus says, by nature, we're blind. We see nothing. But imagine um, I was standing by the uh, roadside uh, uh, looking at this tree with a leopard in it. And I'm a bit embarrassed. Everybody else can see it, and I can't. And everybody's going, oh, it's amazing, it's so beautiful. After a while, what am I likely to do? After a while, I think I'm likely to say, Oh, yeah, I get it, I can see it. Yes, I can see it. Because I don't want people to think I'm an idiot. 
So I'll pretend. It's like the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. You know the story of the Emperor's New Clothes? Who's never heard of the Emperor's New Clothes? Terrific. You've never heard of it? Man, what do they teach these guys? In the Emperor's New Clothes, there's an emperor who asks for the most expensive clothes to be made. Some con men come to him and say, we'll make you really expensive clothes, but they're con men. And they, they say, we're going to make it. But only the very, very intelligent and the brilliant people can see them. And so they, they just pretend to weave some clothes. And there's nothing. And they keep getting people come in and say, do you like the clothes? And they all go, oh, yeah, they're beautiful. I can see them. I can see them. And uh, eventually the emperor puts on the new clothes and parades down the street. And the great thing is this is a kid's story. It's in the kid's book. And you always have a picture of a bottom on, on the last page of the uh, book, which is why kids like it. And, uh, and so he's parading down the street and everyone's saying, what beautiful clothes. Because no one will admit they can't see until one little kid says, he's naked. And everyone starts laughing because they realize. And I wonder sometimes in our world, if... If we're all saying, oh yeah, I see, yeah, I get it, I know the point, I know what life's about, and yet inside there's this nagging fear, I don't think I do. But I can't admit that. Because to admit that I can't see makes me look like an idiot. I don't want to be an idiot, I want people to think well of me. And so you say, yeah, yeah, I've got it, I've got it all clear. Can I say I think that's even a danger in church? easy to come to church and everybody else seems excited, everybody else is singing and seems really excited about it and after time you just say, oh yeah, okay, I can see yeah, I see it, I see it and I say, don't settle for that that's not where Jesus wants you to be, Jesus doesn't want you to be in a place where you're pretending to see something that you've never really seen there's something so much bigger, so much better, but it starts with the admission that says I don't see I see nothing. But it's so hard to admit it. It's so humbling to admit it. To say, I don't see. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. The world doesn't make sense. Jesus doesn't make sense. My life doesn't make sense. I don't see. But that's where it starts. I see nothing. I wonder this afternoon, if you're in a position where you're saying, I don't see. I don't see it. I don't understand. I don't get it. Let me encourage you not to bury that and not to deny that and not to pretend to be something you're not but instead to see what happens next. Not to just cluelessly go, oh, perhaps he's this, perhaps he's this, perhaps he's this but to actually engage. Have a look what happens next. Because what did Jesus do to the blind man? Jesus put his hands on him. He spat on him. He put his hands on him and he healed him. And if you will admit that you see nothing can I say this gently and nicely? Jesus wants to spit in your face and open your eyes. Probably never put it like that before. <laughs> but you see, that's what he wants to do. That's what he does. But you have to admit you don't see anything first. I see nothing. But now look, what happens? Jesus is now... Got his disciples, and he's saying to his disciples, and so in verse uh, 29, look at this. See how uh, careful Jesus is with his disciples. He says, what about you? I've asked about the crowd. The crowd don't get it. What about you? He puts his finger on the spot. Sometimes as preachers, we're told not to use the word you. It's too offensive. We should talk we. 
Now, what do we think? Where do we stand? Where do we, th- you know, do we understand? Do we see who Jesus is? I think that's wrong. Because it's copping out of the confrontation that Jesus wants to have with you. He's not interested in what we think of Jesus. He's interested in what you think of Jesus. He's interested in whether you see. And Jesus says to his disciples, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, look at that, you're the Messiah. That is a staggeringly big thing to say. When Jesus, when Peter says you're the Messiah, you might think, oh, that doesn't, okay, fine, great, yeah, he's worked out that he's the Messiah, great. Can I, that, is a, that is the biggest thing you could ever say. Let me try and fill that in a little bit, okay, and this is like a big 10-hour-long lecture is required to explain what Messiah means. But basically it means this. Messiah means you pin all your hope on this one man. It's all on him. We sometimes use this language. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about messiahs. Football fans tend to talk about it when their team is doing really, really badly and then someone comes along and they're like, he's the messiah. <laughs> and then he loses. And, oh, no, he's not. It, it means someone who you pin all your hope on, someone who's going to put all the problems right, someone who's going to make things right again. And God had been promising, right? God had been promising that there would be one who would come, a Messiah, a Messiah. And it literally means an anointed one, a king. Phil started by talking about Jesus being the Lion of Judah. What does that mean? It means the king from the tribe, from David's line. The, the line of Judah was the line of Israel from whom David, King David, great King David, who when there's a monster Goliath messing up everything, the giant who would come against God's people and God's people were like, ah, he's really big and scary, we need a Messiah, we need someone who will save us, Saul, he was the king he was supposed, Saul, where are you? Saul's hiding somewhere, David, little shepherd boy goes me, I'll do it and out goes David little David, with his little swingy thing, and sling and here comes Goliath with his javelin thing, and David wins a massive victory for all of God's people. He saves the people. That's what a Messiah does. And all the people say, we've won. Why? They didn't win. Their Messiah won. Their anointed one won. And, and, and David was this great Old Testament king figure, but God always said there was one coming who would be better who over all of the war of this world, there was one coming who would put everything right. Psalm 2 puts it like this. Why do the nations take their stand? Why do the kings of the earth plot against against God? Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. And then he rebukes them in his anger. And he says this. I have installed my king, on Zion, my holy hill. Ask of me and I will make the ends of the earth your inheritance, the nations your possession. God says, I have a king and it's that king who will rule, the anointed one who will rule over all. 
It's that king who is going to bring life to a dying world, sight to a blind world, hope to a weeping world. It's that king who's going to put everything right, who's going to make everything good, who's going to restore all of creation, who's going to reverse all of the effects of sin. And Peter says, I think that's you. It's difficult, to, it's difficult to get across how big that is. It's like, you know, when you used to play pin the tail on the donkey. It's not like that. But it, just work with us a second. Playing pin the tail on the donkey. You know, you have your pin, you have your tail, and you go and shove it in the donkey's bottom. Oh, back there again. Apologies. If, if you have one pin... And you have to pin your hope on one thing or one person. Where do you pin it? Have you found anything or anyone that you can pin all of your hope on and that you're confident won't let you down? Where are you pinning all of your hope? Because at this point, Peter gets out his pin and he says, Jesus, I'm pinning all my hope on you. You are the Messiah. That's what he's saying. Everything. My future, my eternity, my life, my death, my everything. I pin it all on you, Jesus. I'm staking everything on you. Or to change the analogy, I just want you to get how big this is, right? To change the analogy, you get that ridiculous phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Peter gets all his eggs and he puts them in this basket. In the Jesus basket. No eggs left anywhere else. There's only one basket that's worthy of Peter's eggs. That's Jesus. It's, it's that big. I'm pinning everything here. That's what, Peter, that's what Peter has seen. Now remember, just a couple of verses earlier, he saw nothing. What's happened? How's he gone from having eyes but failing to see to suddenly being able to say, You're the Messiah. Okay, well, how did the blind man go from seeing nothing to seeing something? Because Jesus did a miracle. How's Peter gone from seeing nothing to seeing something? Because Jesus has done a miracle. He's opened Peter's eyes to see. There's one final thing before we finish. And that is that, do you remember the story of the blind man? He didn't go from seeing nothing to seeing everything. He went from seeing nothing to seeing something. And here's where I, I want us to land. Peter sees something, but he doesn't see everything. Peter has still got a huge amount to learn. Peter doesn't yet know that the way that the Christ is going to save the world is by going to a cross to die. Jesus is going to die. How is he going to put right all that's, the world that's been messed up? How is he going to sort out the rebellion and the human sin? He's going to go to a cross and to die. That's how he's going to do it. Peter doesn't know that yet. He doesn't see it yet. In fact, next week, we're going to see that he starts telling Jesus, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You don't want to go die on a cross. He doesn't see everything, but he does see something. And I think this is a massive encouragement to us. I think we tend to imagine it being like an on-off switch, being a Christian. I go from seeing nothing to seeing, boom, everything. No. It's not on-off. It's more like a dimmer switch thank you Sam exactly like that you see 
It's like a, it's like a dimmer switch. That actually, I go from seeing nothing to seeing something. And there may be lots of people sitting here this afternoon going, I just don't know. There's lots I don't understand about Jesus. That's not my question. My question is, do you see anything? That was Jesus' question. Do you see anything? Because if you see something, if you see something of who Jesus is, that is because Jesus has opened your eyes. That is, an, that is a miracle that you see anything. Have you seen enough to put your trust in him and to say, Jesus, I pin all my hope on you. You are the Messiah. And I want to tell you something. The third stage in the healing, the I see everything, that's not going to happen until the day when I fully see him face to face. And on that day, I will say, ah, I see everything. Just come to 1 Corinthians 13 to finish off. 1 Corinthians 13. Let me just show you what I mean. This is a very famous part of the Bible. It's on page 1154. It's very famous because it gets read at lots of funerals and weddings. Tony Blair read it at Princess Diana's funeral. And uh, look at this. I'm going to go from verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Here we go. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And I want to tell you this afternoon that if you're a little bit hazy on Jesus, and if there are things about Jesus that slightly confuse you and you don't quite get it, you know enough, you trust him, you pin your hope on him, you know that he's the Messiah, but there's stuff you just don't quite get. Here's the encouragement you will one day. One day you'll see it all. And you will worship him forever as the Messiah, the all beautiful, all majestic Messiah. And until that day, you keep asking him to open your eyes a little bit more. Jesus, show me more. Show me more. I want to see more of your glory. I want to see more of who you are. So I guess I want to speak, uh, uh, to, to apply this to, to say, where, where do you place yourself? Perhaps you're sitting here this afternoon and you're still sitting there saying, I see nothing. I just see nothing. Well, I want to say to you this afternoon, will you ask Jesus to open your eyes? Say, I can't see this on my own. I need a miracle to spit in your face and open your eyes so that you can see Jesus for who he is. And if you do see him, will you be humble enough to admit that you don't know everything? Will you be humble enough to admit that you get things wrong? That we need Jesus to go on showing us more? And every time I understand something more about Jesus, it's because he's opened my eyes a little bit more. This is a really humbling story. Um, we can't work it out for ourselves. But we're going to pray together. And we're going to ask that he would show us more of who he is so that we would pin more of our hope on him and trust him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we find stories like this very humbling. 
Um, Lord, we find it hard to admit that we see nothing on our own. We find it hard to admit that we can't work it out on our own. We love to look good. We love to look impressive. We love to show off. We love to be seen to be clever. But Father, we pray we'd be humble enough to admit that we see nothing, but we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came so that we could see something and that you help us to see and you show us more of who you are. And we pray, Father, that as, as you open our eyes to see, we pray that we'd pin our hope on Jesus, that we with Peter would say, yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah. We'd fall before him and worship him. And Lord, we long for that day when we will see everything, when our eyes will be fully opened and when our sight will be completely restored. And on that day, we will see Jesus and fall before him in joyful worship and live with him for eternity. Father, thank you that Jesus is the Messiah. Help us to see him more clearly, we pray. Amen.